Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. All right, Marketeers, thank you so much for joining me. Today I have on Jen McGovern. She's a CPSM, Senior Regional Marketing Manager, and she oversees the marketing efforts for VHB's Mid-Atlantic region. With a background as an editor and copywriter, Jen fell into the AEC industry in 2012 and found a passion for proposals and infrastructure projects. A prolific author and presenter, Jen is a past president of SMPS Washington, D.C. chapter and was named the 2022 SMPS chapter president of the year. She also serves on the editorial committee for the marketer, SMPS's national journal, as well as the national certification committee. Welcome, Jen. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here, Kaylin. So before we dig into how to bust boilerplate proposals... I'm curious how you got started in this industry. What's your story? Yeah, so I actually spent the first about seven years of my career as a writer and editor at a small publishing company. And the company really focused on educational and parenting content, trying to get parents more involved in their kids' education. And while I think that's a really important mission, it really wasn't my passion and my mission and really wasn't driving me. So I ended up looking for something new and got a temporary position as a marketing coordinator at Kimley Horn, a large national engineering firm. And from like day two, I realized this is what I loved. This is what I wanted to do. I really didn't know that these proposal development roles existed. And like a lot of people, it's just not a part of the world that was something I was aware of. But I really found that I enjoyed the challenge of figuring out what story to tell in a proposal to convince our client to select us for a project. I just thought that was really cool. And then, you know, since I came into the industry a little later in my career, I was also really hungry for additional knowledge to kind of fill in those gaps of what I had missed from not being in this career from the beginning of my working life. So that's how I ended up getting involved in SMPS. Studying for my CPSM credential really helped kind of fill in the gaps of the areas of marketing that I wasn't getting exposed to on the day-to-day. And then in addition, volunteering on committees and ultimately serving on my chapter board also helped grow my leadership skill set. So Now, more than 10 years later, like you said, I'm a senior regional marketing manager with VHB, which is a East Coast-based engineering, planning, and environmental services firm. So there I'm leading a team of 12 marketers and continuing to help my firm win work. And although I might not be spending as much time writing proposals as I used to, it's still an area that I'm really passionate about. Perfect. Well, I suppose all of the skills that you attained with that parenting magazine, haven't exactly gone to waste in this industry, (laughs) if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yep. Oh, yeah. Definitely using tips from there. (laughs) (laughs) So before we really dig into it, I want to touch on the fact that you won president of the year, which is massive. What do you see as your top two or three major accomplishments of your presidency? Yeah, I'm really excited and honored. My presidency was definitely unusual. I Mm. was president from September 2020 to August 2021. So I really was taking the reins 
about six months after the pandemic began. So, you know, immediately we had reacted by just kind of shutting everything down, cancel all the events. The world is different. And Mm -hmm. by September, we were in a place as a world where we were kind of like, all right, how do we get back into this? What does life look like? What is that new normal? And, you know, life had to go on, including SMPS events. So, I had conducted a chapter survey and ultimately decided that to maximize safety for our members and minimize risk for the chapter, we were going to have an entirely remote program year. And that was something we had never done before. And frankly, we had rarely had any virtual events before. So this was kind of whole new world for my chapter in particular. But the board members really did a great job executing that vision. And I think communicating up front so chapter members knew what to expect was really important to get everybody on the same page. Right. Um, And then some of the cool things that happened is we were spending less time on some of the logistics parts of being on the SMPS board, which is like finding event venues, signing contracts, doing all that kind of background stuff that you're involved in as a president since we were just setting up Zoom meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So we ended up being able to look a little bit more closely at our finances, what our historic spending had been. And we ultimately made some changes in how the chapter operates. So we ended up changing the way our sponsorship worked. And we also ended up transitioning our website from its existing platform onto the star chapter platform that a lot of chapters use. But for me, that was a really cool opportunity because at my firm, we're a large firm. So there is a whole separate department that deals with our website. It's not something I get to work on on the day to day. So that was a cool opportunity to learn a little bit about how a website gets built, how the website gets managed, how you transition that content, which is just something that without SMPS, I would have not probably had exposure to. Big time. So I think that was that was probably one of the biggest things. I think another cool thing that was unique to that year is since we were remote, since a lot of chapters were struggling with the same things, we spent a lot more time connecting with the other presidents than I think had happened previously because right. you weren't running from event to event. And yeah. during, you know, right after my presidency ended, I partnered with a couple of chapter presidents from across the country to write a marketer article on the leadership lessons we learned from a pandemic presidency. So that was a cool nice. opportunity to continue to partner with them and continue to share what we had all learned after this magical pandemic year. <laughs> sure. Perfect. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Okay, now to dig in. What would you define as a boilerplate proposal just so we can all get on the same page here? Yeah, for me, a boilerplate proposal is one that really relies heavily on existing content. Mm -hmm. So it's the kind of thing where maybe you took the on-call proposal you submitted to another municipality and mostly changed the name. You know, there's right. there's really nothing wrong with using existing proposals as resources or with using boilerplate text that you might have on file or in your CRM. They can really be great shortcuts, especially on tight schedules or earlier in your career when you're still learning how your firm talks about certain topics. Sure. But, you know, kind of the key is to think of those boilerplate elements as building blocks. You can tailor them and shape them to present this specific story if you're mostly just changing the client's name and resubmitting, then, you know, that's only part of the job. Right. So the circumstances that sort of led to this conversation, and I feel like I keep hearing it more and more, is marketing managers such as yourself are getting pushed back either from, you know, management up above them or even from technical professionals of like, 
we're only putting together boilerplate proposals. Like, what is the deal here? And I think that is the driver behind this conversation of like, how do we get out of just piecing together a proposal from previous submittals? So I think in order to break that down, we also need to break down what are the layers of a proposal? Yeah. I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Like it's that ever-changing balance of like you get, as the landscape gets more competitive, as your firm starts pursuing bigger projects, you need to make sure those proposals are more tailored. Mm -hmm. But in order to make them more tailored, to have them tell a stronger story, you've got to invest more time. And that's where marketers are often feeling that crunch is how am I supposed to tailor this proposal when I have seven due this week and I've got to do everything I can to just find the resumes, find the project sheets, hunt down the project manager and make them give me an approach. You know, Mm -hmm. where, where do we kind of find that piece? And I think that's where we end up with exactly like you're saying that baseline expectation for a proposal is that it's compliant, right? That we make sure that we get everything in there that the RFP asks for, that we're not missing any content, because if it's not compliant, it's really not worth submitting. Um, Mm -hmm. Because at that point, the client might just throw it out anyway. So you want to make sure you hit that baseline expectation. I kind of consider the next step up to be cohesive. So that's a proposal Mm. where you've taken the boilerplate, you've taken your new content, you've taken all the input from the technical staff, subconsultants, and you really make it sound like it was written by a single person. You've got a single voice with a consistent story or thread connecting it throughout. So it's no longer so obvious that like so-and-so wrote tab four and you wrote tab two and someone else wrote the second half of tab three and you pulled the first half of tab three from an old proposal. Right. And then you kind of hit that final level that I think we're we're aiming for, which is compelling. So this is the idea, will your story resonate with this client and this selection committee for this particular project? Sure. Is it really clear why the client should select your firm and what the benefits to selecting you are? Like, are those screaming at you from every single page? I often joke to my team that I want to write proposals so that my mom, a non-engineer who is not involved in this industry at all, could pick up the proposal and be able to say, oh, this is why VHB should win, X, Y, and Z. Yep. So really making it clear to to anybody, not just the selection committee, why you should be the firm selected for the project. Perfect. So in that compelling level, where do you see this magic? I'm going to quote unquote magic coming into play. Yeah, I think this is where, for me, the proposal becomes fun, right? Like that's the storytelling piece. I have a degree in English and psychology. So for me, I think that's why proposals are such a perfect world is I get to use the writing aspect that I love doing, but I also get to use the trying to convince people, trying to manipulate them into making a decision I want them to make. And so it's just a cool challenge to have. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of times when marketers are up against the schedule or feeling the pressure of a lot of deadlines, that's where we take what feels like a shortcut. We don't talk about the project. We don't ask questions about why we're pursuing it or what the client's trying to accomplish. And we just run headlong into, okay, here's the schedule. Here's the outline. Here's what I need from you. And that's when we kind of lose that magic because when you're just pulling together pieces and you don't have a plan for here's how it all connects, here's how it all comes together, here's our compelling message, that's when it's going to fall a little flat. Then it's just, you know, when we're not telling the story and taking ownership of it, 
we're asking the client to make certain assumptions. Mm. When when we just hand them a bunch of quals and say, here's our project sheets, you decide whether or not we can do the work. We're not taking the whole story into our hands and saying, this is the assumption we want you to make. This is how our sure. project is relevant to your project. This is what proves we have the capability to do it. And this is why you should select us. So we're kind of only doing half the job when we don't think about the whys behind the project. And that's where you lose the magic when you're just focused on that compliant level. Sure. So how I'm taking this is the magic is almost like your win themes, your differentiators. It's the meat of your document. And when you're developing these win themes, what do you see as do's and don'ts? Yeah. I think the number one do is what I was kind of just hitting on. You do need to understand the drivers behind the pursuit. Mm -hmm. Why did the client put out this RFP? And also, why is your firm pursuing it? Why is it important to you? Why is it important to your firm's growth? And if you as the marketer don't understand the answers to those two questions, you'll really never be able to develop a compelling story. Another do is trying to understand the client. You know, Mm -hmm. are they a municipality or are they a state DOT? It's going to be different stories, different drivers for each. Are they a college or are they an energy company? They're all kind of caring about different things. You know, a lot of our clients at the root of it care about scope, schedule, budget, and risk, right? That's, they want to know how much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take? How are you going to make sure that I don't end up in a risky situation because of doing it your way? Mm -hmm. But they all consider it in different ways. Like an energy company might be willing to pay more money to get something done faster because it's important to them. Whereas a state DOT might have their hands tied because they only have so much budget. And so it's going to take however long it's going to take for that amount of money. So really, taking that time at the beginning of a proposal kickoff call to ask those questions so that you understand as the marketer what's going on. Because I think a thing that a lot of marketers don't recognize is you are typically the only person who's touching every single piece of the proposal. Someone else might review the whole thing, but you're the one putting it together, compiling it, shaping that story. So if you don't understand those drivers, you're going to be off to a bad start because you can't tell that story and make it cohesive throughout. I kind of, I guess that's the big don't. Don't try to tailor without understanding the client. Because if you just pick some win themes out of the last proposal you did, they might not be relevant to this client this time. It's kind of like writing a thesis for a research paper without doing any research first. Like, yeah, you might have guessed right. It's entirely possible, but you'd be better off if you just did that tiny bit of research in advance. And it can be as simple as like Googling the client. I know yes. every time every time I do a proposal with a municipality, I look them up on Wikipedia because I want to understand like how big are they? Is this a large city or a small town? Do they have historic things? Do they have some kind of district that they're proud of? Like what what is this place that I'm trying to convince to pick my firm to do some project? And then mm-hmm. I'm doing the Googling of the project. Like, where is this road? What are the concerns? Mm-hmm. And you know, just making sure that you as the marketer kind of take a little bit of ownership for it because it's your proposal. Even if it's the PM's project and it's the project manager who's going to be responsible for delivering it if you're ultimately selected, it's on you to help make that connection with the client and try to make it a personal story of why these win themes matter. And then I say another do is once you've developed your win themes, your differentiators, your themes, your story, whatever whatever your firm is calling it. Sure. 
the key is to make sure that you're backing it up with proof points. Because that's the other thing that I see and my team knows, like the word unique drives me absolutely nuts because we'll say things like, we bring unique experience and that's it. Like, right. so what is that unique experience? So what? Why should I care exactly? So what? Why should I as the client care about this experience? What does it do for me? How does it help me achieve my goals for this project? And then, you know, where have you done it before? That's mm -hmm. the other piece is like, making connections across the proposal. Like, yeah, there might be a project sheets section, relevant experience, we'll call it. That doesn't mean you can't mention those project sheets in the cover letter or executive summary. Right. Like make those connections throughout the proposal or even in the approach, you can put call out boxes that show like, you know, as in this project mentioned in tab four, we've done this before, here were our lessons learned from that project. Like you can help make those connections again for the client so that they're going to the conclusions that you want them to make rather than making their own conclusions. Right. So then to take a step back, I know that I've shadowed a few new marketers before and as they're going through their kickoff call or whatever your company decides to call it, and they're going through a directive, one of the questions is, like, what are our differentiators? What are our win themes? And my biggest pet peeve, and I know we share this pet peeve, is the marketer will then look at that prompt and say, okay, so what are our differentiators <laughs> to the technical staff as if it's just a question that has a quick answer like blue, right? Mm -hmm. My personal theory is that if it's a question that could be answered in via email, or via chat, it's not a question that should be on a phone call. And a win theme discussion is just that. It's a discussion. It actually does need to be hashed out. So what advice would you give to marketers who maybe have found themselves in that situation of not knowing exactly what to do besides just read the prompt of what are our differentiators? Because the automatic answer your staff will likely give you to that is, well, I don't know. I mean, we're not that much different. <laughs> right. And then yeah. you're back at square one. You're like, okay, well I tried. So here's my boilerplate proposal yet again. Exactly. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head that it's, it's gotta be a discussion. It's gotta be a conversation. And I think a lot of marketers, especially early on in their careers or new to proposal development in general, almost have like an intimidation factor. Like you okay. assume there's been tons of conversations before you've brought been brought in. You're the last one to the party. And so everybody already knows all this stuff. So you're trying to rush towards the outline and assignments and schedule because to you, that's most important pr proposal development. And the thing is, is, you know, this is your time in the kickoff call to ask those questions, have that conversation and make sure you get caught up. Like I've, to date, I've probably led and sat in on, I don't know, hundreds of kickoff calls at this point. And I've never had a project manager say to me, well, we've already talked about that. And right. if, if they do get defensive or say something like, well, we discussed that at the go, no go discussion, it's perfectly fine to just answer with a smile and say like, oh, that's great. Unfortunately, I wasn't on that call. So it would be helpful if you can catch me up. So we're all on the same page. Mm -hmm. Like nobody is going to bristle at a reasonable request like that if you're sure. just making it clear like I need this information to do my job 
And I think to your point, like, yes, yeah, sometimes people get to that prompt and it says, what are our differentiators? For new marketers, I'd spend some time, or frankly, marketers at any level, right. spend some time prior to the kickoff reviewing the RFP, doing that little bit of research on the client, and kind of putting those prompt questions into your own words. What don't you know that you want to know? Because you you don't want to ask, like, what is this project if the beginning of the RFP was a project summary, right? right. So <laughs> you want to show that you've done something. Um, but spend some time talking with your supervisor about how you get to those differentiators. Because mm. I know early in my career, I would ask who is the competition in every kickoff call or every interview prep? And I didn't really know what it meant because I was mm. new to the industry. So people would rattle off this list of firms and I would dutifully type them down and I would move on to the next question. And I was like, I did it. I asked about right. the competition. Check. And it wasn't until I was partnered with the regional marketing manager at the time and saw him kind of go through the competitor analysis and talk about, okay, so what are some of their strengths? What are some of their weaknesses? What's their relationship with the client mm -hmm. that I started? It was like a light bulb moment for me where I realized, oh my gosh, I don't just need to have a list of who the competition right. is. I'm using this information to figure out my strategy of how we're going to beat them. And that, you know, kind of recognition is where for me, I was like, my proposals jumped from just like, maybe I'd still have a clear theme, but it might not be that compelling because right. I didn't understand what I was up against. I didn't understand about the client. So recognizing that that what are the dif differentiators is something that comes at the end of the conversation. Once you've got all of your data, once you've got all of that information, then it's figuring out how does this information kind of bucket together like where are we standing out from the competition like mm -hmm. we can't say like we're the local partner if literally every other firm has an office in the same city right like right. kind of looking at that information and figuring out is there anything that stands out and is a true differentiator and if not what are our win themes where we're going to try to make it sound like a differentiator even if it is the same as every other firm right so we did talk about this and you just mentioned it of as a marketer, especially as a newer marketer, your, your perceived goal of these kickoff calls is to get through the outline, to go through the schedule and schedule is a challenging thing to balance with wind theme development. So how do you balance developing a solid wind theme with your pursuit schedule? Yeah, I think that is definitely a challenge. And I mean, in an ideal world for a major pursuit, you may have been positioning for it and having positioning discussions for two years prior to the RFP even being released. And so it's not a frantic, we have a half hour to get through all of my proposal kickoff things I need to cover and also figure out the differentiators. It's it's a whole different world where you've spent maybe two whole meetings on just the comp competitor analysis and one whole meeting doing an issues map of the project site or whatever. But then there's the reality that a lot of us face, which is the RFP dropped. We either didn't know anything about it or didn't know it was coming or somebody knew and had been tracking, but we hadn't really had the opportunity to get a marketer engaged and really start some pos focused positioning discussions. And so you're caught a little bit flat-footed and you're just kind of hitting the ground running. And then there's also the fun of the ones where, you know, 
nobody knew about it and it's due next week and <laughs> the principal says it's a go even though you're sitting there like how are we going to do this just looking at the RFP requirements is insane and the first thing I'd say is like recognize where you are if you're in that last situation where you've got a week to get this thing done look no one's going to be ashamed of putting together a boilerplate proposal aim for compliance sure. just just get it done get it there on time and hope for the best because in that position, it's the kind of thing where, you know, your firm wasn't positioned for the project anyway. So if you win it, it's a great benefit, right? It's it's exciting. So there's no there's no need to beat yourself up if you're not able to figure out when themes and figure out a story in that one week turnaround. Mm -hmm. But for the bulk of proposals, hopefully you have more than a week or two and yeah. you've got a little bit of time. If you're still finding yourself scrambling for time, I usually start off by figuring out what are those kind of most important pieces, mm. you know, like where, you know, look at the evaluation criteria in the RFP. If 45% out of the entire evaluation score is dedicated to the approach, then work with your PM to make sure that approach is as strong as it can be and maybe make the resumes a little bit more off the shelf, right? They're going to be a little bit more boilerplate because they're only 10% of the criteria. Right. Or, you know, the flip side, if you look at it, sometimes I'll see it and it's like, 80% project experience, the five projects where you've done this before, like then I know I'm going to spend as much time as I can shining up those project sheets and making sure they include a relevance to project statement or quotes from the client or something different beyond what's asked in the RFP so that I'm really getting the full percentage points for that area. And then I might ignore one of the other sections or, you know, not ignore it, but sure. But not again, spend as pull much it off time. the shelf. Exactly. Use the boilerplate, fill in the gaps, make sure that it's compliant. And then for me, a lot of times I, I will always make sure the cover letter has clear themes because I feel mm. like that's your opportunity in a single page to just kind of hit the client with here's why you should pick us, one, two, three. And again, yep. going to depend on your RFP. Maybe you need to include a bunch of stuff in the cover letter and you need to figure out how to fit it, whatever, but you can still take that opportunity to summarize in one paragraph for the client why they should select you for this project and then kind of go from there. And so that's, for me, that's kind of how I do it is wait out the importance of each section if you don't have the time to give the whole proposal the full compelling experience, figure out those sections where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Perfect. To sort of round out this conversation, what do you see as some misconceptions with proposal development in general? I think one in general is that it's something boring or something you should aspire to escape from. I feel like a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times I hear marketers saying like, well, how do I get out of proposals? How do I get mm. past proposals? And at the end of the day, the way our industry works is proposal driven, right? Sure. Like you want to win those larger projects for your firm. You want to make sure that your firm continues to have revenue coming in the doors. There's proposals at the bottom of it. So I'd kind of say move away from how do I escape and more into how do I get more of those strategic pursuits? How do I mm. prove myself as somebody who has really mastered this compliant, cohesive, compelling kind of proposal format so that I'm consistently developing those compelling proposals. Because I think in my career, that's how I got opportunities was I got known for that storytelling ability because I was applying it to, you know, even simple random proposals. I didn't know any better. I just like telling stories. So I would sure. weave it in. And then that became a thing I got known for. And I'd find myself getting pulled into meetings with more 
you know, higher up people getting pulled onto proposals that were more strategic or important to the firm than getting pulled into like specific market initiatives or strategic initiatives. And then from there continuing to grow. So I'd say don't look at proposals as something to escape from, but look at it as how can I refine my craft and use it as a stepping stone, as an opportunity that maybe you do want to get out of proposals one day. You know, we know that not everybody feels the way I do with my love about proposals, but think about how you can use them strategically to get to that next level in your career. And part of that is through being able to identify a theme, identify a differentiator, articulate your strategy, and then execute it. And that's something that you're going to use throughout your career as you do move up into more management levels, if that's the path that you choose to go. Perfect. Well, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, where should I direct them? Yeah, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or you can email me at jmcgovern at bhb.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Jen. Thanks for having me, Kaylin. All right, Marketeers, that is a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. Thank you again to Jen for joining me to talk about boilerplate proposals and how we can avoid them at all costs. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would not only invite you to subscribe, but also to leave a review if you're able. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. Chat soon.